Hello and welcome. It's a lazy Labor Day weekend edition of the TetraCast. I am Brian Vitelli, and joining me today is George Foster. Hello, everyone. Adam Vitelli. Hey, guys. And James Galizio. Hey. So, uh, typical crew, uh, typical slate of talking about RPG news, talking about general gaming news, and what we've been playing. Uh, it's kind of been an uneventful week, so just kind of the calm before the storm. I probably have used that idiom before. Uh, call me out on it. But so we'll see kind of where the conversation takes us. We'll talk about the couple things that did headline the week. Mainly the two biggest topics that I can see going forward are the release of Marvel's Avengers. Woo! I knew you were going to chime in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, we have some news about NVIDIA GPUs releasing before the end of the month, which uh, I think James is interested in talking about. But before yeah, we get to those, go ahead. I was just going to say, not like entirely RPG related, but they did show off like cyberpunk gameplay and it makes sense to talk about it since I feel like a decent amount of uh, our like people that read the site and listen to the podcast probably play on PC, if not all the time, at least some of the time. So, Well, it's weird because cyber, cyberpunk has kind of been like that their choice for here's what here's an rtx demo right uh running with cyberpunk here's a 3080 or was it a 3090 i don't remember uh demo yeah. with cyberpunk it's got a nice like playlist of trailers that are all like nvidia backed in terms but of we'll talk about that later yeah yeah so uh we'll just kind of go into what we've been playing this week and for a change of pace i will start off because i don't normally start off um i have not played anything new i've kind of been wrapping up some games that i've been kind of partially through over the last couple of weeks so last week i kind of went in on crystal chronicles remastered edition and basically this week i, I finished it and i it, it only has like nine trophies so it doesn't have like the full list for the platinum but for whatever reason i was compelled to do them all just because uh it was kind of like this white whale of a game that never got to finish as a kid and despite all of its issues put it lightly i kind of wanted to like have the complete experience so I'm like, you know what i'll go for this uh this trophy list it's pretty small there's not a whole lot to it but i wanted to see like what they did with the post game stuff what they did with the new equipment and like i don't want to pile on but i just felt like they could have done more <laughs> it just felt like very uh, they well, they made a big deal about the, these new post game dungeons or this new tier of equipment past beating the game. Like we've we've made the game even better or whatever. So how the game works uh, in the base game is that there is a level of randomness to it. Depending on how well you score in a certain dungeon, you have a chance of getting better artifacts, better equipment, but it's not guaranteed. So the which some people could get frustrated with. I'm I think I'm a little okay with it. It gives uh, some incentive to run those dungeons multiple times. and Because if you could just get, get guaranteed what you want out of it the first time, it's already a short game. It would be an even shorter game. But then with the post-game, they kind of do away with that. And to get the best post-game gear, you pretty much only have to do each post-game dungeon uh, once to get the equipment you want, and maybe once more to get the materials you need. And they've made it so that each dungeon has a specific thing that you have to work around where as uh the upgraded version of Rabenate Ra will 
throw enemies at you that like to curse you or the upgraded version of the mine will throw petrification at you or or Damon's court will throw monsters that cast fire spells and they burn you and basically if you go into the dungeon with the gear that is resistant to that status status element they end up being like trivialized like that's the only gimmick that they have uh, is if you go into a dungeon without the proper gear, you're going to have a shitty time. If you go into a dungeon with the proper gear that counteracts it, it ends up just kind of feeling like a chore. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's... I kind of like the idea in general of making status ailments meaningful, because I feel like in a lot of RPGs, especially um, Japanese-style ones, that there's a certain element or a certain style of gameplay where poison is useless and cursing is useless and silence is useless. Like they end up being becoming so limited utility that it's almost easier just to ignore them and just do like damaging attacks and healing. So I like the idea of making status elements at the forefront, but I think they need to just one other wriggle, one other layer, because if the only threat in this mine post game dungeon is that cockatrices are going to petrify you and you go in with anti petrify gear, that's pretty much it. Like that's you've you've defeated the dungeon when you've done that. Now so, the post game dungeons. Um, I saw there is something where like they're only available on certain days. Is that actually the case, or is that what was up with that? My understanding is that if you're playing in single player, you can do them uh, whenever, all the time. They're all available to you. But in the lobby system. I can't verify this because, to be honest, I spent less and less time doing the lobby system and just playing it as a single-player game, uh, that you can only select certain ones. That seems so weird. Like, why? It seems like it's arbitrary. Like, we want to have a system that emulates this daily, weekly system of MMOs or service games. (laughs) This is the only manner we can think to fashion it into this remaster for some arbitrary reason. And it kind of goes to show, like, how the multiplayer is just not very well implemented. Like, when you basically just admitted, like, yeah, I pretty much just played the game single player eventually, you know, like, just doing it in multi is just not feasible or not, 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 not feasible, but just too much of a headache. It's more like an afterthought where they're like, we're actually going to push you to play parts of the post game in single player because we have this arbitrary daily roulette of dungeons and like the post game dungeons when you're not really trying to collect murder drops or have story progression uh i think that would actually be the best point where the limitations of the current lobby system don't matter as much but then they decide to do this so they're like yeah please just play this as a single player game with a multiplayer option it's like okay like all right square you win i'll just i'll just play this as a single player game and it's worth mentioning, I guess, that the producer of the game actually put out like a public message on Square Enix's main website. They don't do this very often for like patch notes, but basically saying like, thank you for the feedback. Here are some of the bugs and technical things we're fixing um, regarding connectivity and uh, like they're adding a cutscene skip and a few other things. Uh, but they haven't, they, he didn't say anything specifically about like the multiplayer design elements, but he did mention like we are keep we are putting all feedback into consideration for future updates. Like I don't know what they can possibly do to the game, but maybe they are considering something. Maybe that's just wishful thinking, but yeah, they like, said something, I guess. 
I've already kind of talked about my issues with the game, but they're kind of independent of this freemium model of this uh, and the lobby limitations. Like even if you try to sidestep all those issues, the game is still like super flawed. It's quite a mess. So at that at that, at that point, if we're like regretting all this stuff, I'm kind of just revisiting what we did last week. So this week, I kind of want to just talk about the post game stuff. Uh, I like the idea of emphasizing status ailments. I don't like that that's all there is to it. Because uh, uh, I was actually streaming in our Discord channel, just like sharing it, and uh, I was going through that mine dungeon without petrified gear, and it was really quite a slog. And people were like, "This doesn't look any fun." I'm like, "No, it really is it." And then later that day, or the day the next day, um, I I went to the other dungeon. I looked up where you get the petrified gear, equipped it, went back to the mine, and just breezed through it. And it's like, okay, when you when you take out that one hazard, it's no longer a problem. And it's just okay. Like that was that was the extent of thought that needed to go into this stuff. So yeah, that's Crystal Chronicles, and I think we pretty much visited it to the extent that we're planning to as a as a website, as an outlet. We've got the review, we've got a casual mode video on it, we've got guides on it for like what all the equipment is. So I we might be we might be bidding it farewell. What a short lived time in the uh, edge of the spotlight. I haven't other, played it yet. I probably will. Just like and this wasn't really how I was planning on playing it, but I probably will play the game as like a single player experience. Uh, mainly just to kind of say I did because it's one of those games like I never beat as a kid, and I kind of want to beat it just, just you know, to kind of you know put a book, put a put a lid on it, if you will. But yeah, just kind of. Hopefully, and, and they revisit is... the Crystal Chronicles like idea in the future with maybe a new entry or, or something. I don't want it to. Well, I don't want this to be the end of it. Well, that, that whole it didn't do that anyway. Yeah, that whole sub series had like in. a nice had a nice like I don't know eight years in the spotlight between the original GameCube release and whatever the most recent release was, one of the DS games maybe or the Wii game. Like it, it, it was kind of like this interesting little thing that you could expect a new release every two years or so with Rings of Fate, Echoes of Time, the Wii version, the, the cool little in inventive WiiWare games. My life is a king and my life is a dark lord. Uh, and then it just kind of like fell off. Like, oh, we're not interested in this anymore. And, but it had some cool ideas that aren't found in any other Final Fantasy games and cool races. A nice, like different sort of aesthetic that's a little bit more like uh, all ages sort of group. Not Not so... Yeah up its own butts sometimes uh but it, i so i do hope they revisit it and they don't take this as evidence of like oh people aren't interested in crystal chronicles anymore it's like no don't take the wrong don't take the wrong lesson from this square enix please if they announced a new let's, let's just say a switch pc ps4 crossplay crystal chronicles game and this is me like just getting ahead of myself in my mind's eye where it was it, it ditches the caravan mechanic, but it still does this multiplayer focus where the online system is no longer like shoehorned into this clearly older game that wasn't designed for it. And it was instead instead like built around that. Th that could be really cool. But I just don't know if they're interested in that. The other game I've been playing this week is uh, after finishing up Crystal Chronicles, I've gone back to not quite, but basically finish Horizon Zero Dawn on PC. So they, they've patched it a couple times since when uh, I last played it before Crystal Chronicles released. So um, people who are having crashing issues, which I never really had, I guess I count myself lucky, 
uh, supposedly those have been addressed. And more importantly, the snow deprivation physics have been reapplied. I guess I never caught this because I never played far enough to get to the like the frozen wilds areas. But I suppose with the original PS4 DLC, when they added the frozen wilds, they updated like how Aloy or Aloy tracks through the snow and leaves footprints and like trails. And the PC version just didn't have any of that. She would just clip through it, which depending on your inclination, some people might really think, oh, that's not a big deal. They'll, they'll fix it. And then, but some people like that really was a bugbear. Like, I can't believe they didn't add this or didn't have this properly. <laughs> what a mess. I'm like, man, that's a little dramatic, but I get where you're coming from. But so uh, they added that. So I started playing through the frozen wilds areas. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, like I think it's fine, but it feels like the most cynical interpretation of DLC that there is. Uh, I don't want to feel like I'm not too high and mighty about it because obviously the PC version has it included. So it's not like I had to pay extra for it, but it's just like, here's a section of the map, you know, shunts it away to the northern corner where this is the DLC section. It's just kind of like separated off. Or it's just like, to me, that's the that's the type of DLC I don't really care for, where it's just like, here's a chapter that we're sliding into the game that, you know, you can kind of tell that it's separate from the rest, but it's not, it just feels like they kind of fenced it off and then like taped it back on later. It's it's very much a classic interpretation. Like, I think it feels like a, like a late 2000 aughts DLC. I'm more, I don't I'm know, more that doesn't really bother me too much. Hmm. I more enjoy when it's like, how do I say this? When I think of DLC that I think is really cool, I think of the Witcher 3 DLCs, which are like kind of, they extend the the original game. They aren't, I enjoy stuff that takes place chronologically later, I suppose. And that's an arbitrary thing to enjoy. But to me, I enjoy that more. Um, I also think of like Brotherhood of Steel for the uh, Fallout 3 where it shifted the ending and it uh, it basically changed how that game works in it's like you've completed the story now what sort of way. The DLC that I don't like as much is when it's like, all right, this is this is supposed to take place. Like you finished the game last year or a year and a half ago and they're adding DLC, but you have to like find your save file before the, the quote unquote point of no return and like, all right, this is when this actually, this is when this happened. And I just think that's a little bit less creative. It's just like, here's a chapter we couldn't, we didn't have the time or resources or our budget to put in originally, and we're slotting it in now. Like the quality is fine. I just don't like that format of DLC, that framing. I just think it's less interesting inherently. But I thought it was cool. I think it's, um, it, it introduces some pretty tough challenges. Like I think the Scorcher enemies that they, in, that they add to the Frozen Wilds are probably the single most toughest uh enemy and there was one of the trial challenges where it has to have you fight two of them and i was struggling so much like i was i consider myself you know pretty decent at the game i wasn't struggling that much at all until this point until there's one challenge that said you know kill two scorchers really quickly until i learned that in that arena they specifically give you like two of those log traps to to use to basically instantly defeat them if you're careful I remember man, that, actually. I, I'm like, man, I'm glad I did that because I could win. Like, if I played carefully and conservatively and went in with, like, a lot of ammo and resources, like, I, I don't have any doubt that I could defeat the Scorchers, but I don't know if I could defeat them efficiently enough to get, like, the best rating. 
So I don't know if pretty much 90% of players crutch on that trap that they put in there or what, but uh, it was, it's basically even on normal mode, it's been, it's been a, a nice challenge without being like an overbearing one. So that's one thing that I think that DLC has done really well. Other than that, I, I think the game is fine. Like, I don't have a lot of strong opinions on it. I think it's well made. I think it's got pretty interesting, like, story and lore implications. It's got uh, maybe too much abundance on data logs. Like, I hate whenever you go to any of the old world bunkers, you go into a oh, single gosh, room yeah. and there's, like, three data logs back to back. And I try to be a patient person and listen to the majority of them. But when I just scan all three of them and then like the first one cuts out and the second one starts playing or something, I'm just like, whatever. Like I, you could have metered these out a little bit more, I think, instead of just dumping them all here. Um, Remember that being like a really, like specifically in the last two hours of the main quest, it's just like, yeah, you remember looking at the menu and there's like 32 things that you've missed throughout the game. Like here's all of them at once. Listen to yeah, that. Here's, yeah, here, here's six of them in a room and two of them on the next room over. And I'm just like, man, I, I kind of feel like I'm obligated to at least glean what these are trying to tell me. But they could have, like, it just kills the pace. Like, I'm trying to imagine if I was, and this is a general comment, not not just, because a lot of games do the, the quote unquote, the audio log. If it's a safe yeah, way to, to design. it's a safe way to introduce story elements without making them part of the current moment of gameplay you want to you want to touch on something that happened in the past or something that a different character who's no longer present feels or whatever but if i were the person that was like very deliberately trying to absorb all of them the pacing would just die i would go into a room and then i would scan those three things and i would spend the next six minutes listening to them <laughs> just standing still letting them go or maybe like climbing the next wall or whatever and it's like okay this this isn't I'm not against the format, but I, like, I'm not against audio logs on principle, but you could have just paced this a bit better. Put one, put, put more in the open world for me to, dis, to, for me to discover. Don't just put them all on the critical path of the linear story dungeon back to back to back to back. <laughs> so I wouldn't mind, but if any game like has a way to do it right, it's Horizon. Like, I remember in the intro when Aloy finds her. Oh, I forget what they're called. Uh, the, focus. the triangle thing. Focus, That's one. Yeah. When she focuses at the start of the game, I'm like, oh, okay, this could be this could be used really well. Uh, and then just it 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 kind of is, but specifically in regards to audio logs and picking up pieces of text, it's just exactly the same. Ever. And I guess yeah. for a reason, it's like, well, obviously the only way to find out about the old world is through old pieces of like audio logs. But it's just it, it's I, I thought it was quite badly done. Um, yeah, like, it, it's made me go, I hated that. <laughs> there, there was one ver there was one log somewhere where they mentioned the Forbidden West, but I did got a like Leo pointing at the <laughs> pointing at the TV thing. We're like, aha! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like out of context, so they could have like jumped off anywhere with it. It was just like a location that this person mentioned offhand, <laughs> but still, like it is mentioned. It's not it's not out of nowhere. Uh, but yeah, I've enjoyed it. Um, like if if it were a new release this year, I would might sneak it into like my top ten, but like it's not like oh man what a gem like it's, it's a good game I like it it's fine like I you know I think I said on a previous podcast that my favorite element of the game is the combat not necessarily it's it's just different 
for most games, um, the melee stuff is probably the stuff that they need to upgrade and improve the most in the sequel. But just I kind of like the the range style trapping sort of combat to it. It's it's a different and, like, pace. And yeah, you're fighting like a smaller amount of larger creatures usually, rather than like hordes of enemies or or humans or whatever most of the time. So it's like when you when you when you see like I forget some of the creature names, but when you see like a scorcher or whatever, you're like, oh shit, you know, this will take a few minutes to take them down, sort of thing, um, rather than just like, oh, here's a horde of enemies and let me just mash the X button a bunch to swing at them. Yeah, like you know, even 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 the bandit camps sometimes kind of remind you about what other games feel like. Like, man, I just killed forty dudes <laughs> like in this small vicinity. Oh, yeah. uh, but and there's even a nice sense of uh, progression that's like you don't really quite notice it until like so early in the game you find you find like a sawtooth or a ravager and they're they're tricky they're they're difficult and then later in the game you're like completely bulldozing through them because you know their weakness you got, you've got better gear you like stun them to death and like they might not even hit you so it, it's actually kind of it's it's always a great i know horizon is so on the fringe of being an rpg we, we are actually kind of called out on it which is fine it happens several times a year for us uh yeah. but, <laughs> we're used to that but it does have that sort of progression where if you go back to earlier areas and you curb stomp it and you're like yeah i'm a badass now <laughs> or whatever so that that never gets old um I hope that they continue to polish out the PC version. I kind of, been, I've mentioned this previously, but I'm in the weird place where I had a pretty good time with the PC version. So I was kind of high on it before I realized so many other people had crashing problems or, or like I've never crashed. I never really had that texture flickering issue. So there were so many things that other people experienced that I just didn't run into, which, I'm, which doesn't mean they didn't exist. It just means I didn't have that perception when I wrote my impressions on it. But I do hope that they they tidy it up so that more people can enjoy it because uh, it was very popular on Steam. And I hope it does kind of open the door for more late Sony publishing projects, whatever you want to call it, coming to the PC. Bloodborne, please. Bloodborne, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. <laughs> Bloodborne and Bloodborne. Bloodborne, Bloodborne. And get the uh, frame pacing right on the first try because that's what people would be really on that about yeah. and was that rumor just to, to speak off topic yeah. but was that rumor that god of war would be well there was also a rumor that bloodborne was going to be an out for pc but then it never was not yet anyway yeah i, I definitely say that god of war is possible now at least because i mean if horizon came who's it's, it, it's, it's a similar style the game that came out in a similar period of time i I think that that could be a viable strategy going forward where they do there's kind of like this two three year cadence or something. Yeah, obviously in an ideal quote unquote world it's day and date, but if if that's just not possible because they've got to protect their own interests and get people to buy their consoles, like okay, I I I can live with that. It'd be kind of cool just to have like all right, we're we've got this back catalog of games, we've got these PC players who are not enticed to buy our consoles. We've got, you know, 100,000, 200,000 people who would purchase our game if we put it on Steam. Let's do it. Like, let's put up God of War next year and let's put up, I don't know, uh, Second Son the year after. <laughs> it's interesting to see to what extent they, they go down this route. Did they ever port The Last of Us? That's the big question. 
People will flip their shit if that happens. Well, the thing, uh, the, what draws the line there? Like, at what point do you say and you just go, okay, we'll just like we'll put basically everything on there? Like, I, I think personally, it would probably have to be Last of Us Part One or Part Two being sort of like the the bigger one they do. Eh? Like, am I? Am I, I, I my my mind gets distracted. I'm just thinking, man. If a hypothetical The Last of Us shows up on Steam, that forum section is just going to be an absolute tire fire, like more so than usual. Oh, man, that's not pleasant to think about. But anyways, I do hope that in general that it is something that they continue going forward and it's not a one-off. But yeah, that was my uh, my week. So next week, maybe I'll start something new. So this week, I was just kind of uh, finishing out some things that, you, that were pending. Uh... Sorry. I'm surprised you didn't uh, attempt uh, tempered Furious uh, Rajang and Monster Hunter yet. Oh, is that out? I haven't tried it. I, I logged in for the festival, but I didn't realize they added new tempered stuff yet. It's an event quest. It's only going on for a few days. Um, yeah, tempered Furious Rajang until like the 7th. So uh, good luck with that. <laughs> um, uh, I, I will guess have my, uh, just my feline insurance and I will... Yeah. There you go. Uh, definitely, um, I guess to kind of just give uh, some perspective for people that maybe don't play monster hunter if they do they might might not have gotten to furious rejang or anything like that uh regular furious rejang can generally two-shot you about health boost plus three so tempered furious rejang probably will almost always one-shot you if you don't have uh vitality slotted is so. furious just part of his name or is that another qualifier it's a qualifier he's a variant monster so okay. Yeah. It's kind of funny to hear like tempered furious Rajang. So it's like, okay, that's, yeah, like, two, that's like a stacked qualifier. But. Yeah, there's there's two types of monsters in Monster Hunter, and I'm gonna get the names wrong. There's there's variants, and then there's something else that almost means the same thing, but not quite. Subspecies. Uh, yeah, there you go. So, subspecies. So basically subspecies are a different species of the same type of monsters. So like yeah, Pookie Pookie, which is the uh, chameleon looking dragon thing that shoots poison and has like a rubbery tail and then you have the um coral pookie pookie which is the same thing but it doesn't shoot poison it uses water blast and has a different move set because of uh the ways that even though it has a similar design the types of attacks it does are incredibly different um variant monsters are the same type of fight just dialed up to 11 the best way of explaining it is is that so every monster has like a regular mode and a rage mode. Variant monsters generally start in the normal monster's rage mode or, or, an or an equivalent type of mode, and then they have even further rage mechanics tacked on. That makes sense. Like, I follow you. Yeah, but te yeah, so, there's, so tempered is a qualifier, and then there's either a subspecies or a variant. So yeah, I just pulled up the event quest, and this is weird because normally Monster Hunter is super lenient on like when their event quests are, are available, but for this one it says available September fourth through September seventh, like a three day, four day window. That's kind of unusual. Yeah. Well, hunt a tempered furious Rajang to obtain spirit vein gems, which are a, a material. And, not just right, that, so you get a um, astral melding ticket, which is. Um... Is it astral melting ticket or oh God? I don't know. Because one thing I noticed is that, um, or is it astral? 
Wyvernian ticket? Because I know that when I was hunting Latrion a few weeks ago, I noticed that you couldn't actually get his gem using the uh, Celestial Wyvern print. So is it an Astral Wyvernian print, or is it an Astral Melody uh, for ticket? Pe- for people who aren't in the know, prints are basically items where if you're not lucky enough to get a specific drop from a specific monster, but you do do like a high-level quest to get a print or a ticket... You can trade that in. It's basically a little bit of a cushion or a net where it's like, all right, I'm not going to have you carve this monster 100 times for its 2% chance at a gem. If you're able to get this ticket from this other quest, you can trade for it. So it sounds like this tempered Furious Rajang will give you a ticket which allows you to get a rare item from Alatrion, which was the other recent hard monster that they added. But yeah, I, I guess um, Labor Day weekend goal, beat that uh, tempered uh I am, I did, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I did not even know they added it. Yep. So, George, so what have you been... Oh, I was going to hand it off to you, James, since you had already uh, started. Well, okay, I'll, I'll go first, I guess. Um, more Final Fantasy. Uh, basically, Surprise. just <laughs> doing the extreme trial. I think I talked about it a bit last week. Um, I actually did clear it. Um early this morning, like 1 a.m., so that was fun. So is this um, a new trial that they added with 5.3, or what is this? Yeah, new uh, new trial that they added with 5.3. So the way it works, and I, I swear I explained this last week, so just correct me if I already, well, not correct me, stop me if you've heard this before. <laughs> um, so the end game in 14, there are extreme versions of trials, there are savage versions of raids, and then near the end of an expansion's life cycle, they add an ultimate uh, raid, which they started adding, I think, in, was it in Stormblood or Heavensward? I don't know. You would Either know. way. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, yeah, um, so I cleared the most recent extreme trial, which was pretty fun, and uh, I've been checking out some of the, not this tier's um, Savage Raids, but I've been doing E4S, which is um, the current, well, last tier's, like, penultimate raid, just so to, because um, since the uh, raid is now not the current uh, tier, that means that you get access to a modifier if you fail a certain amount of times. It increases your HP, increases your damage, increases your HP regen. And also, there's higher item level equipment that you can actually use. So, um, the reason I want to do that raid is because if you clear the final um, raid in that tier, you actually get a four person mount. Which, is that, uh, I saw something about like a carriage mount. Is that that, or is it something different? It's something different. The carriage mount, some people got upset because it was added to the cash shop for $35. Oh. Um, I mean, you can definitely make an argument about that, but from what I understand, the reason why it had to be on the cash shop is that that mount specifically was originally developed by the Korean dev team, or well, not the Korean dev team, it was developed for the Korean version of the game, and whenever something like got, whether it's an emote, or it's an outfit, or a mount, is developed for either the Chinese or Korean version of the game, whenever they bring it over, they have to put it in the cash shop. So, huh. something like that. So, I don't know if that's accurate. If it is, it would make sense. I'm okay with I mean, uh, super premium items in the cash shop, because there are some people uh, that this is really the only game they play, 
and they want to support the devs and they're not spending money on other games or other like I'm I'm okay with it as long as it's yeah. not like pay to win or it's like having this carriage it gives you yeah. up on on other people who decide not to get it yeah like the main reason I want to get this four man mount from the raid is because um so the carriage itself is actually the third four-person mount added to the game. The first one was the Regalia Final Fantasy XV crossover, which I didn't have an, I didn't uh, play when that um, crossover was available. Uh, hopefully it comes back. Usually they bring crossover events back at least once. So maybe after this current event ends, they might bring it back. Hopefully. but uh, I, just remember when, I remember when that was a thing where people would post images on like Twitter, yeah. where it's just like a, a row of people all in uh, Acura, whatever whatever the brand name of the car is. Just like, that's a bit silly, but whatever. I'm okay with that. It's goofy. But it's useful to have a four-person mount because um, in the expansion areas, in order to get access to flying, you have to do, and I've talked about this like back in May and April, where you have to get these ether currents, which uh, some of them you can find on the map and some you can find in side quests. But um, if you have a four-person mount, obviously, if you're trying to help friends that are just getting into the game or get or going through the expansions, you can kind of just say, "Hey, hop in my mount," and you just ferry them to where the ether currents are. So the person who has the mount is the driver, and the three other players yes. are, are essentially passengers. That's kind of neat. So yeah. Um, some uh, friends of mine are going to start playing again in a few weeks when my uh, one of them makes a new gaming desktop. So uh, figure might as well try and get that four-person mount by the time they uh, start playing again so I can kind of help expedite things a bit for them. That's kind of cool. You, you uh, might have explained this before, but maybe I just didn't, you know, understand it. But so trials have two tiers, normal and extreme. And then raids yes. have three tiers: normal, savage, and ultimate. Is that no, ultimate are a separate thing entirely. Ah, okay. But so, if I was hardcore enough that I wanted to like do all the trials and raids, I could do it on normal mode and not be like, like it's not quite at the level of the more difficult mode. Where is, I assume it's the same boss, but they hit harder. They have maybe new abilities, and you get better gear from them. They are incredibly different. So, like, like most of the mechanics, well, pretty much all the mechanics that you see in the normal mode boss are turned to 11, and then there's plenty of mechanics that just don't exist in the normal mode version. Uh, like, um, just to give an example, so for Seed of Sacrifice Extreme, which is the current Extreme Trial, uh, there, is, there are three different limit breaks that you can uh, shoot out. Um, Lumber Break 1, where you have to have the healers stack on either side of him, the tanks stack north, and the DPS stack south, because when he does Limit Break 1, he'll target a random one random player from each roll, and um, it's an AoE attack, and people can soak the damage if, only, if, if he's only targeting one person in, in a group of players. Just um, if you have, like, say, both like the healers and the DPS together, and obviously he's going to target two, then all those people are going to die. So that's one thing that's a wipe if you're not careful. There's a limit break two where he will target the healers, like a healer once and then the other healer. And you have to stack for that. So you have to be on both sides of him. You have to have like dedicated groups for when he does limit break two. It's like, 
okay, get on either side of him with your healer and help them um, stack the damage. Um, Lamp Break 3, he will target either all, all the DPS with a Meteor or all the healers and tanks with, with a Meteor, and you have to basically get them as far away as possible in order to uh, mitigate the splash damage. That makes sense. Um, where, like, you want to keep his different potential targets separated so yeah. that they individually take the damage, but the splash ends up being negated. Yeah, all the meanwhile, he'll, he has this thing call, um, called um, Saber Imbuement. And the first time he does it, he'll imbue a saber with a an earth element, which means that when he does his attack, you need to basically spread out around him in a clock formation because he'll basically he'll aim directly at every player with a slight conal um, AOE attack. So it'll only hit you once if you're spread out in a clock formation around him. But if people are all together, that conal AOE is going to hit everyone at once, and it's going to be a wipe. And then he'll either have a chance of also imbuing it with fire or ice, which uh, fire means you have to stop moving when he does the swing and then wait for the debuff to go away before you start moving or you'll take a ton of damage and probably die. Ice, you basically have to keep moving, like jumping around. And then when he actually swings a sword, if it has like a certain effect around it, you have to go into his hitbox because it's a donut attack, which means that inside his hitbox is safe everywhere else that you'll get hit. Or if it doesn't have the special effect, you have to back up from him, give him some room, and then like mitigate the uh, mechanics. The second time kinda, he does it's it, it's kind of interesting to hear you describe this because it's like so. I haven't played a lot of games that tr- that treat raiding as seriously as Final Fantasy XIV does, but I've played some with some similar DNA. And I just wanted to chime in here because there's a boss in Guild Wars Two that does a similar elemental thing, where in his fire phase, you have to keep moving. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to take a huge debuff damage. But then he can change on the, on a fly to a lightning phase, where if you keep moving, a thunderbolt's going to knock you down. So you have to like really pay attention to what phase he's in, and he can jump to him randomly. So, yeah. yeah it, I just thought about that when you were mentioning those two things specifically. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting fight, though. And uh, I'd say it's a lot of mechanics, but once you get them down, it's just incredibly fun to do. Like there's a midpoint where he'll summon um, two adds and your groups, which you like relegate at the start for like the different healers have to split the two adds apart where they get a damage buff. And then the tank and basically the DPS need to burn them down, but almost immediately both the D like all the DPS will get these splash markers. So they have to go to the corners. Then the healer gets a stack marker, which means that the tank has to deal with both the ad, making sure he interrupts their tank buster while also staying um, staying in the stack marker for the healers so they don't die. And then immediately after, like at the same time, the like after the DPS have dropped off their splash markers, they have to run all the way to like where the tank um the uh, tank is outside the stack marker, because at the same time as the stack marker is going off, there's a soap tower, which basically you need to have two people in there in order to tank the damage. And if it doesn't get tanked, it's raid-wide damage. Uh what tower? And then um, a soap tower. So usually they're called meteors or soap towers. And basically, in order to know how many people need to be in the tower to mitigate the damage, there's like a number of meteors. And then there's like stuff on the ground that tell you, okay, here's how many people you need in there. So it's like, as that's all going on, immediately after that, 
then there's these tether ads that spawn where the Hank, where the uh, tank and the healer need to grab its attention by walking in front of the tether and pointing it towards the inner cardinal directions of the arena outward because anyone that does the soap towers gets a fire debuff and the uh, ad does fire damage. So it's like five mechanics going off in the span of like less than 10 seconds and you need to, and everyone needs to manage it perfectly because if you don't burn down the ads in time, the boss's meter fills up and he does a damage that's an instant wipe. And then there's even more mechanics in the second phase after that that's crazy. There's like four different types of mini ad phases that he can spawn, which are like, you kind of get a preview for what they are during that like regular ad phase. But it's just like each individual one is kind of dialed up to 11. And then there's this thing called quintuple cast where he casts like all the different sorts of things you can do, like the the earth, the holy, which is a stack marker, the uh, spread, which is the, well, I, that is the earth, the fire, the ice, and then like a gaze attack where you have to look away from the uh, party member that has the uh, gaze uh, icon above them. And he doesn't like what. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Uh, I was just wondering, like, I wonder, like, so I've played a few other games like this, like I mentioned. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds familiar. Oh, that sounds different. But I'm wondering, like, what Adam and George think if they haven't played this sort of game. Like, when you hear him describe all these different systems, are you, like, are you gathering it? Is it over your head? Like, I'm just wondering, like, what what, what do you think of when you haven't played, like, a raid-based cooperative I am dumbfounded. <laughs> it's I've not played, really my sort of thing. I played the original Guild Wars. And that's pretty much it. And I know those ones had like a couple of bosses in it that had different like patterns where you'd have to, you know, have your characters in certain positions or move in certain ways to avoid damage. And then you'd have to like, there there were burn phases and whatever to like, this is when you attack and this is when you just focus on dodging sort of thing. So I sort of understand like, you yeah, both have to coordinate. You have to coordinate both your party movement and your, like when you're dealing damage and when you're when you're trying just to stay alive, depending on what the boss is currently doing, sort of thing. They had a couple things that are basically raids. Like the final boss of the underworld is essentially a raid boss. The final boss of the um, the elite missions that they put in there are. But the thing about trials, as far as I know, is that it's just a boss arena, so they can really kind of go. Is that correct, James? Yeah, it's, it's not just like a dungeon a boss. leading to a boss. It's the boss. Yeah. So, so they can kind of go whole hog on just focusing 100% on making that the challenge where I feel like if it's at the end of an hour-long dungeon, they can only do so much <laughs> because imagine having like a 55-minute preamble to a boss fight and then the boss fight is as difficult as James is describing. That would be a little bit insane. Though I'm sure there are some games that indulge in that. Uh yeah. So, but yeah, it's a lot of technical jargon that if you don't play MMOs or even if you specifically don't play Final Fantasy XIV, you're pro- it's going to go over your head. But uh, it's a mechanics heavy fight. Um, it the DPS check isn't that bad, I'd say, but you just have to make sure you don't have too many deaths, or you will. Uh, like I uh, had an attempt right before the one I cleared last night where uh, we just barely managed to fail, and we had him at 1% HP when he hit his enrage, and it was, like, demoralizing as hell. Well, there's there's a whole, there's a, there's an adage where, like, it doesn't matter how much DPS you can do in the training room or on the training dummy or whatever if you don't do the mechanics and you die, because dead, dead DPS is no DPS. 
So you kind of have to have a smart enough, this is me speaking generally, not having done this specific trial. You have to have a smart enough balance between like you are able to think on your feet and know your role to avoid the damage by positioning yourself the way you're supposed to, while also knowing your class good enough where when you do have an opportunity to do damage, you're not holding the team back. There are sometimes people who are like, they they focus too much on one thing or the other, and then they, they fail because they don't do enough damage or they, they just aren't, they don't, their head's not on a, on a good enough swivel to do the mechanics properly. And they, they, they constantly yeah. need resing or, or healing or whatever. Yeah. I'm still kind of sad that um, we failed that one uh, attempt where we got him to 1% HP because we almost failed at the ad phase. And like the gimmick is, is that like, as he's charging the bar up, um, for each ad that you kill, you get one and a half uh, limit uh, limit break gauges back. So once you kill both of them, the tank has to time their limit break at the right moment to uh, mitigate enough damage so it's not a wipe. Um, but as a flip side of that, that means if you do have a limit break gauge going into the ad phase, you can use it to deal with uh, some of the um, HP. Uh, I noticed that the DPS on the other side needed to be res so i was like oh crap we might not be able to do this so since i noticed that neither of our deep of our um ads were dead yet i quickly popped my limit um, breaks since as a melee dps it focuses in on one enemy and does a ton of damage and that managed to um save the run at least until the very end where we failed because um i think we got to like 95 percent charge on the boss's uh ultimate attack and it was like super close <laughs> Yeah, whenever you get a 1% wipe, it's like, man, if only... Uh, the way I think about it is I'm thinking like, man, if only I had done something just incrementally more efficiently, maybe that 1% health wouldn't be there. Or maybe or if you're cynical, you could be like, if only the healer or the tank did slightly more damage, that 1% wouldn't be there. I point to directly what caused that wipe in the sense that the final limit break thing that he did was limit break three, and people panicked and forgot to go to their corners for the meteors. So half of the team was dead when we were trying to burn him down before his enrage. So if we even had like two more people on him, he would have died. Wow. It's just. It is yeah. interesting though, because when you boil it down, at least for a, for a, for a classically styled MMO, that's either tab targeting or kind of rooted in that DNA. The developers only have a certain size toolbox where when you, a lot of the systems are kind of borrowed where you, you see something and it's like, it's not independently unique, but they can implement them in different ways, line them up in different orders. Like I, I, I'm hearing things when you're describing this that are familiar to what I've seen, but tweaked in a way. It's very interesting to see like the sorts of things that you can get creative and do when, when you boil it down, it's not something you haven't seen before, but maybe it's implemented in a way you haven't seen before. So it's very versatile sort of gameplay mode. And I do think that there is something that that, large-scale, cooperative, highly difficult experience kind of does that no other really form of gaming does. It's different from a difficult single-player game. It's different from a more casual cooperative game. It's different from the sort of uh, involvement you have to have in a high-level PvP game. I I just think it's kind of a cool... It's a cool space, and there's nothing quite like defeating that. Go ahead. Yeah, because you have to trust literally seven other people with not fucking up in order to clear the fight. Which is terrifying if you're if you're plugging it, which means that you don't know these people, you don't know how successful they are, you don't know if they know the fight. But it's also like because of that, it makes 
it feel all the more rewarding when you do clear a fight for the first time because you know that it wasn't easy. It wasn't something that you alone could have done, but you also understand that if you hadn't pulled your weight, it wouldn't have been possible either. Right. It, it definitely feels like you accomplished something to the extent that you feel like you can do that when playing a video game. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's there's nothing else quite like it. Yeah. Well, that boils it down. It, it, you kind of have this, like, whenever you clear a boss with people who, they, this is going to sound super like cheesy, but it's like, you're no longer strangers by the time you get that clear. Like you're, you're, you're tied together now. You've got that shared experience. You're friends now. Maybe not friends, but <laughs> your acquaintances now. I get you. I get you. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was still playing Destiny 2, I definitely had that experience with, like, the uh, Reset Era clan for uh, for uh, PC Destiny 2. That, like, um, kind of a tangent, but uh, one of the people I did my first Last Wish clear on Destiny 2 with, a few months after that, he passed away, and it was actually kind of heartbreaking, because... Um, like, I didn't know him super deeply, but, like, we spent, like, literally, like, 12 hours working on that, like, um, doing that raid mostly blind, and then it just, it's like, you'd be surprised how much camaraderie you get just from doing a simple, like, raid with somebody over, like, a day, just because, yeah, it, it happens, it's just, Yeah. Because you've bailed them out, they've bailed you out, you both came out on top when you finally do win. Yeah, I still have like a screenshot on my hard drive from like uh, the group picture we did when we uh, were, we finally cleared it. It's like, yeah, it's just one of those memories you're never going to forget. I really feel like I'm missing out now. Like, yeah. Because I, I generally avoid all this sort of stuff. Not, 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 not like purposefully, but I'm much more interested in the sort of single player stuff. And then I hear stuff like that and it's like, that captures that sort of like back it I, i'm gonna sound old here and I, i'm i think i'm the youngest but uh back in my day when you see like couch co-op and you just sit there and you'd play free game for friend you'd be on the ps2 and you just chuck zone in something random you just play it all in one day like it kind of sounds like it captures that and i think that's something that's kind of been missing from my own well, game i just think it's cool it's it's cool to have different experiences that tailor to different levels and i don't mean skill levels i just mean like involvement levels where i don't want to do a raid every day sometimes i want to just play through a normal mode diablo 3 with three with three friends and like not really have to you know get really involved into making sure i'm flawless and doing my role and i just i just more want to that's a great thing about the way uh, final fantasy segments it because like like as as confusing as I've made it sound, the extreme fight is actually really easy to do. Like once you've done it once and you're doing it with a group of people that know how to do it, you're probably not going to wipe very often, if at all. Then there's the savage mode stuff and the ultimate stuff, which is a bit of a different story. Yeah. So if you want to really go for the hard content, you can do savage and savages and ultimates. And if you want to just do something that's a little bit challenging, but you don't want to be really like rage moding later that day you can do extremes and if you just want to relax you can do stuff like fishing or you can do dungeons or pvp or stuff like that it is kind of cool when you're like struggling on a boss for hours the first time it comes out or the first week or the first month and then you finally clear it and then when you go to do it the second or third time you're like you know what this really wasn't so bad because you've actually like improved and learned and gotten better 
And that just always feels pretty good when you go back to it and you're like, man, like we actually accomplished something that is, has a bit of permanence to it. Like now we know how to do this. But yeah, thanks for sharing that. So uh, I guess we'll hand it back off to George who had played another multiplayer experience of a different sort that came out this week. It's it's the one you guys have all been waiting for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Marvel's Avengers. Give it up. So uh, that just came out uh, yesterday morning, basically, with some like yes. early access shenanigans. Yeah, we've had it. Well, I've had it for five days now. Um, I've managed to get through the campaign, and I've done like quite a bit of multiplayer stuff. And I'm happy to report that it's better than I thought it'd be. Uh, which wasn't saying much. I've been kind of apathetic towards it um, and distracted by the shiny Gotham Knights in the horizon. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I think, I think most of its problems stem from this real split in what it could have been and what it has to be. Uh, I feel like if it had just stuck with being a single-player game or even a co-op sort of game, but just not a live service game i think it'd be on to really remember and as it is now it's sort of like hey that story mode that's really good and the rest of it is kind of like what i said when i played the beta where i was like i enjoy the combat but i'm running out of reasons to play it like the, so the can gear you describe is... just like how it's organized to me like i haven't watched twitch streams or gameplay footage i just know kind of generally how it's set up so is the single player completely separate from the multiplayer or is it like you can play the same levels in multiplayer? Does it shift you so, from character to character? Just kind of describe how it's set up. Basically, when you go to the main menu, you get two options. You can do campaign, uh, which is the single player missions. So they're sort of they're much more set PC. So they're, they're separate from like the multiplayer stuff. You, I don't think you can play them with friends. Uh, you go through them. Uh, starting as Kamala Khan, and then slowly you start being able to play as like other characters. You don't get to select who, um, but you, you'll slowly like control the Hulk when Kamala meets him, and then you'll control Tony Stark, and then onwards and onwards. Uh, and then like in the final mission, you're playing as all of them. So that, that's sort of standard. And then slowly as you do the single player stuff, it'll introduce like special multiplayer and co-op missions that like you could do in multiplayer but they're sort of story based so i think they're called heroic missions and they're like sort of got a plot to them they're all really consequential but they've got like a focus at least uh and they cross over into multiplayer so you can play them and then everything else is handled in the avengers initiative which is basically just the the multiplayer option so you jump into that and then it takes place after the campaign so it immediately, like, if you if you want to jump in and just be like, oh, you know what, I just want to play as Iron Man, I just want to online shoot some robots as Iron Man, you can do that. Um, just a warning here that if you do decide to just jump straight into multiplayer, and the game will warn you as well, there is going to be spoilers because I've talked about it on other podcasts and I've made fun of it. Uh, but I have to imagine there are a few people out there who don't want to. Wait, you do spoil other podcasts? The big twist. This podcast. Okay, <laughs> oh, but so um, so this is a single player kind of like in a way like a training mode where it's like here you'll learn you'll get an opportunity to play as each character and sort of get a feel for how they work before taking them into multiplayer. Yeah, kind of. 
uh, I don't know if that's a cynical way of looking at it. Think well, that, I, I don't. I don't mean I, it like disparagingly, but it's just like here's an opportunity to play as every character where you're not like where your team's not dependent on you knowing how to play well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think generally, I'd say the characters have like their unique elements. So uh, Captain America's got a shield that he chucks around. Iron Man can fly. Uh, Black Widow has two guns, that sort of thing. But they all generally control the same. So once you've learned one, you can kind of learn them all pretty much straight from that. But then they have like different skill trees and different special abilities that would like let you pick a favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite is Captain America. Uh, there's something about the way he controls and the way he combos. That is, yeah, like, I thought he was dead. <laughs> or whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a hologram <laughs> <Spoilers>. or whatever. <laughs> Um, that's the big spoiler, by the way, that I was talking about. Um, doesn't matter. Anyway, it's spoiled straight away. But he controls fantastically, and like it, it feels like a really competent action game uh, when you play as him. When you play as like other characters, it's, it feels really good as well. But something about Catch America clicked with me, and I was there like, you know, I, I'm actually like really enjoying playing as him. Like I feel like a, I feel like it's a slightly less good action, character action game. Um, just because you you can really do quite a lot with him, uh, I've yet to sort of explore all of the characters so much as I have with him. Um, but anyway, so then this Avengers initiative is basically where the game will continue to grow, um, and you just you go there, you go to the war table, and you're like, okay, I'm going to select a mission, and then they're generally just really generic, sort of like, hey, run to this base for some reason, and beat these guys up for some reason and then hey you did it you win uh and it's that over and over across different locations maybe there's a little bit of like a scenery change but that's that's do missions have like tiers of like difficulty where it's like this mission is more difficult than this one you should do this one first to get some drops and get some gear upgrades and then do this one and then go to the next one you said you said gear upgrades you you've triggered me i'm gonna get Uh into a rant now here we go basically the problem with the gear system is that it's completely inconsequential besides stat numbers going up which like it just doesn't make a difference i that if i equip this special helmet for captain america that tells me that i do like plus 0.15 percent more damage like i don't care about that like give me something flashy give me something cool to show off Wait, to my friends. are those like are, is that like a number you can actually expect to see like plus 0.15 you can see it but they're all like if you go on Twitter and search Avengers, and there are a bunch of tweets just making fun of it because it's like there's one tweet that I saw that one of the pieces of gear was like, "Oh, if if you critical hit, then you have a zero point one five percent chance of uh, gaining back some health." And then it was like a bunch of uh, like conditions as well, and it was like, "Okay, this gear is useless. I don't need this." Like, and we, it's like we want we want to make the appearance that this game has like gear based progression, but we don't want it to actually make a difference in the gameplay. So we're just going to make these numbers really, really incrementally small. Exactly. That's my like, initial takeaway. Bet once you get further and further into the post game, maybe you start picking up more stuff that like affects you a bit more. But it's like. I don't care. Like, th- there's a button that lets you just hold it down, and then it'll equip the best gear for you, depending on the mission. I'm like, why would I ever have to think about it? And you could make the counterpoint of, oh, if you don't have to think about it, then why does it matter? But it's like, it's one of the gameplay progression loops. Is oh, hey, okay, I'm gonna go do this mission so I can get better gear, so I can go do more missions. And it's like, 
if you're not being given better gear, why are you playing it? Like, what what are you doing it for? And I could then turn around. I'm having an argument with myself here, <laughs> justifying it all. But you could turn around and say, well, the combat's really fun, and playing with friends is really fun. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But to what end? It's not like it's the best combat out there. So like, if you're playing, for example, Monster Hunter World, not only is the progression systems in that infinitely better, and you're having cosmetic changes, stat changes. It's also the best at what it does, arguably. I'm, I'm sure you two would agree with that. But it's just. That's generally true, yeah. I walked away from the campaign genuinely really impressed. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to I'm gonna have to eat so much crow on the podcast and just be like, yeah, I was wrong again. I'm really bad at judging games. And then I played all the multiplayer stuff and I was like, ah, oh, I was right. Like, it's it's just you were both it's wrong cynical. and right. That's a that's a yes. For Marvel fans, uh, such as myself, I would say it's worth playing for the story. I think the story is really fun. It has some really great Marvel moments. The combat is great, and it does shine in the campaign when it's not so fussed about like, oh hey, this this enemy is like five levels above you, so don't go attacking that. Like it, it just it that element doesn't really matter in the campaign because you're sort of guided along. Uh, I would say it's worth it for that. If I was just scoring the campaign, I'd say a seven or an eight. Uh, but with everything else, it just it brings it down a little and bit. That's, like it, it's, that, that sort of a sentiment that you have, I've seen elsewhere where people, the first thing they do when they jump into this game is to play the campaign. And like people seem to be pretty impressed with that, kind of like you were. And there was also some chatter on like people didn't realize that like Kamala Khan is sort of your main character here because a lot of the pre-release stuff didn't really focus on that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I actually mentioned like a couple podcasts ago. I think I asked you like Kamala Khan's the main character, right? It was like one of those things you sort of eventually, I kind of like eventually inferred it, but they they definitely weren't very upfront about that um, because it just felt like the campaign is sort of not at the forefront of the marketing but that seems to be what people are really coming away from, coming away from the game like really enjoying is that i completely agree it's like that that is fantastic and kamala khan is a really good protagonist like i remember starting the game up it the the beginning hour we've all seen like the san francisco golden gate bridge battle thing like that's that's been in every single trailer um like just minutes before that you're playing as kamala khan walking through this massive avengers celebration day and she's like she inadvertently runs into all the avengers and it's supposed to be like really hokey and corny like oh what are the chances she'd run into every single avenger but i, I was grinning like an idiot i was just there like i was squealing like this is so cool and this <laughs> yeah, is the, I, the thing so is like kamala khan is sort of like a big marvel fangirl on her own so she, you know you kind of if you like Marvel, she's sort of in the same shoes, if you will. Yeah. It, it's just, I, I keep thinking about that and thinking about my reactions to all the single player stuff and being like, so impressed, so happy. And then the rest of it, I guess the best way of looking at it is if you really enjoy the single player stuff, like I did, then maybe the multiplayer stuff is just more of what you've enjoyed about story. Like if you enjoy the gameplay, then hey, there's loads more for you and it's going to keep being updated. Uh, forever and there's going to be more stuff so like so so the multiplayer is there like some sort of goal or it's like where each character has like if i were to play the multiplayer 
and I want to just kind of like see my fill of it. Is it like I want to do every multiplayer mission once just to see what it is, or I want to get good gear for each of the characters? Like, what would be like a goal that would drive people to play the multiplayer for a significant period of time? The sarcastic part of me wants to say none, but uh, I'm not going to do that. I think. Uh, a lot of it would just be enjoying playing it. I think it relies a lot on just enjoying playing the game with your friends or random people and just seeing that happen. Uh, personally, what drives me, besides obviously being able to talk about it, is the cosmetic options. So earlier when I talked about the gear not being cosmetic, instead they have a system where it's like you can just buy skins or slowly unlock skins through like a... um. What do they call it in Destiny? Glyphs or something like that? You get them decoded? But they basically have a version of that in this where you decode it and then, oh, hey, you're not to skin. And the skins are all really, really, really cool, uh, which is which just stings because it's like they could have put this effort into the gear and like my big problem with the game would probably be gone. Uh, and it's, it's not the sort of problem that I think they can patch out. I think that's just an intrinsic gameplay thing now. Um, so for me, it's working towards those costumes because it is so the, so the carrot grind. the carrot on the stick is cosmetics which is 100 fine like a lot of mmos or a lot of games like you hear it in dark souls you hear it i'm sure in final fantasy 14 where it's like all right and i've seen it in fantasy star online where it's like uh fashion souls or fashion whatever is the true <laughs> game or whatever yeah, like that's i'm 100 on the board literal cosmetics for... being go ahead the literal meme for uh final fantasy is glamour is the true end game yeah, and then Guild Wars 2 has a super robust wardrobe system where half the thing people are excited about when whenever there's an update is what the new wardrobe options are. So I'm 100% on board with that being the carrot. I'm okay with that. And I'm also 100% on board, I think, with the idea that you don't need to have, like, uh, you should only play this section of the game if it gives you, like, better gear at the end. Like, no, just the pure... In- the pure- the purity of purpose of just enjoying playing it, getting better at certain characters or just enjoying what the game is offering without looking at what's at the finish line that can be legit like i'm okay like yeah. i'm okay with that on principle it's just that it seems like based on your impression that the the the, the way that the multiplayer is set up it's not quite where it needs to be seemingly to to allow for that level of purity i the thing is i I'm okay with the cosmetics being like that too, but it's because I'm a sucker for cosmetics. But it's just like none of the missions really change up all that much. Like they're all really generic. They all repeat the same objectives, same locations, yeah, that's the same what little down, puzzles that you can do. Yeah, it's like I, I'm I'm happy to just turn it on, put on a podcast, put on some music, and just like bust through some missions online. Like it, it gives it's good for that, but it's like. I don't know how long that can keep up. And I know there are more content content drops incoming, but like, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it all seems a bit cynical for me. I, I think if they had just focused it on the single player stuff, maybe with a bit of co-op and added updates, like story DLC, like sort of what they're doing, then it'd be better. But I just, I can just already see that those story missions are just going to be one, one story thing. And then a bunch of like, meaningless side stuff that I just I have no interest in doing because what am I getting from it? The way uh, it's, you're describing it's... it almost makes it sound like it's the uh, the typical last gen 
single player game with a multiplayer mode attached to it, which can be fun <laughs> in its own like right in its own limited scope. But they've always they marketed this as like this multiplayer service extravaganza. And the way you're describing it just seems like to belie that is it, it, you're describing it almost like a last gen game. And I don't mean that like in terms of visuals, in ter- but in terms of like here's a single player game with a multiplayer mode that can be fun in spurts. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a weird one. It feels like it really has struggled with what it wants to be. Um, also, as a side note, it is glitches all heck. Like just at the moment, this is typical teething problems. Like I, I saw, I saw this coming. I'm sure everyone did, but I, I generally don't get many glitches in games, or at least I don't care enough to really point it out. But it happened a lot to me. Uh, one of them was in one mission. I got teleported through a rock, but somehow still climbed over it like it was a a, a climbable object. And then I was running around the back of this level doing what I was supposed to be doing uh, but because I hadn't triggered the event through climbing over the rock normally uh, I had to restart the whole mission and lose a bunch of progress like that that, that one was pretty egregious uh, and then there's like stuff like faces and hair not loading in uh, mm. it's in a pretty weird state I, I've been pretty lucky not to have too much but I've heard a lot of people online are like getting slowdown issues uh, cutscenes not syncing up uh, there's this weird problem with the subtitles as well that I've seen a lot of, where it's like, it's it does it really literally. So like in a scene, um, it'll explain like character motivations like in that scene through subtitles. So it'd be like, uh, Bruce closes his eyes angrily, and I, I've never seen that before. That's that weird. Me. It's not, yeah, it's I, not I, one it's thing. Almost... Go ahead. I saw one was like Kamala Khan, like she. Uh, like Kamala braced for what she was about to do, or something like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like that, and it's it's weird. I've never seen it before, and it, it doesn't particularly bother me. It's sort of like reading a script, but like, like whatever. But then it, like, all, it almost game, feels like direction for the voice actors, like, all right, yeah, this is yeah. what you're doing in the scene. <laughs> that's it. Like, and towards the end of the game, it's like they just they must have been using an old script or something because none of what they're saying is matching what's going on. Like, there's this big conflict between one of the heroes and the main villain and it's like they're just not saying the same thing and i was like have i have i done something wrong here like like um, it's an earlier draft of the script exactly i also saw a storyboard that they pulled from that where they would normally get the script from but they also pulled the non like dialogue i saw and you know whenever there are glitches like this people are going to tweet them and they're going to get a lot of likes and free tweets or whatever but there was one i saw where um i guess hulk had had an agreeable grunt and like it was like a robot <laughs> voice. Uh, uh, yeah, I've seen that. And I guess you know, it's like it's not uncommon. I think for like there to be some sort of like temporary voice um, before they get the voice acting down. But just kind of, it's just like this is not this is this voice line is supposed to be a grunt. They it said has a robot <laughs> voice just saying like grunt. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the problem there is that this game is so like. It's so stretched thin that like they probably didn't have time to go through all of the little, little interactions that can happen depending on each character, and they, like it's just so stuffed with stuff. Like, like I, I don't want to judge it too it, harshly man. because I assume in a month and a half, two months, these will be ironed out for the most part. And, and for they won't most, matter, right? 
yeah. for most of the lifetime of this game in 2021, 2020, 2023, however, however they follow up on it, none of these, I like, I like your idiom of teething problems. They're not going to exist. They're, they're a temporary hiccup, but they are still notable nonetheless, because this game is such like this premier product sort of thing yeah. based on this huge IP. So it's kind of hard to like, look at that and not be a little bit like, really, man, like, I don't want to like lambast it for it or, pillory it tar and feather it but you kind of feel like you have that inclination to because like this is your big product and you still have these weird like things that you missed would love to judge it based on what it's going to be in a couple of months or what it will probably end up being but like as it is right now i have to talk about well, how yeah, it is now you know exactly you can only um, judge it for what you have in front of you at the moment good news is that i think it can get better i think it it will get better i i'm Last week, I uh, I was like, oh, God, what have I signed myself up to making jokes about how I signed myself up for a lifetime of Avengers stuff? And like saying it now, I'm like, you know what? Like, it is pretty fun. It, it is dumb fun. Um, and when it starts introducing people like Spider-Man and uh, Hawkeye, I, I'm going to I'm going to check it out. Um, but it's not all bad. It's just some of the stuff that interrupt it shouldn't have interrupted it and it feels like this this whole battle of like game that people wanted to make and a game that people have like been told by executives like hey like we want this going for a while so you better stuff it full of useless crap um it's just it's tarnishing how i view it a bit but generally i'd recommend it i think you know in terms of post-launch and in terms of post-launch stuff and maybe this is trans uh transitioning to our news section the first post-launch thing will come out next month in October, and it stars Kate Bishop, who is one of the Hawkeyes. And I guess this is, like, story content that does take place after the main campaign where will introduce this new character who, assumedly, plays very different from any of the existing characters. Um, and there's a story with her and also the other Hawkeye, and that part comes out in November, I think. So, like, there is going to be, like, continual updates. Not only with the multiplayer stuff, but with, like, campaign character stuff, too. That's awesome. I am, like, I am all there for that. Like, if they they use this as a base, if I'm investing in this eventually just becoming, like, this massive Marvel game with, like, more and more story stuff, I'm totally on board for that. Like, that's cool. Um, But we won't know for another month if it turns out like that. Like, maybe all the scenes in the trailer are the only scenes that are there you know like maybe it's two minutes of story stuff and then like okay now you, back log, to base. you log in and you log in in mid-november and then in an hour you're done you've seen all the cape bishop yeah. stuff and i go okay but, yeah to, to go on to kate bishop and clint barton uh really good first choices and they sort of back up the claim that each character sort of has a uh echo fighter as it as it were if we're talking um in mm-hmm. smash terms but I just want Spider-Man and I hate that I want Spider-Man in the game so much now because it's such a dumb move. What they've said is to be planned for these DLC drops, well, not DLC, content updates. If you take that, so each character has a pretty significant story stuff and then multiplayer stuff as well, how the heck is Spider-Man going to work? Like, if he has any impact at all on the story then Xbox players are just not going to get that story at all. 
and like is he just like not going to be there is anything he does just not going to count like oh yeah or yeah or or they make him super like superficial and he doesn't end up mattering and then you kind of feel like man because they wanted to have this exclusivity thing they've kind of kneecapped what they could do with spider-man one of the coolest characters so you're kind of like damned if you do damned if you don't either either he's really important and then you just feel awful about it unless you're like a super like gung-ho sony like yeah, rah rah. <laughs> but or he's <laughs> or or he's uh done in a way where he's like the least impactful, you know, he could possibly be to avoid that. And then you realize like, man, what a bummer that that's this that they ended up do we know too much with Spider Man. Do we know anything about like when he's expected to like, release? Early twenty twenty one. So okay. like probably the first quarter. Uh more interestingly, actually, um before we move on from this sort of first round of DLC stuff is that uh, they had originally planned to unveil Black Panther as the first DLC character, but obviously due to the awful passing of Chadwick Boseman, they sort of delayed that announcement. So we know Black Panther's coming to the game, probably Wakanda as well, and that's that's really cool. Uh, it's going to be a bit um, bittersweet though, because yeah, he he made Black Panther like. He, he did it perfectly so it's going to be kind of hard to see how they do that without seeming too cynical like here comes right, like they, 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 they want to market DLC. their game but they want to make it like obviously respectful so 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 like props to them for somehow finding the time to turn this around completely and make it about hawkeye um kate bishop like you have to imagine that I had to do some they had to do some work pretty quick to be like oh god we have to change this now yeah, let's shuffle this around but Before I'm, we go I'm, on to, uh, or go ahead if you had any closing I'm, thoughts. This is like a closing thing, anyway. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. I really enjoyed the story. I enjoy the multiplayer enough, even though it's pretty dry and devoid of content at the moment or meaningful content. Uh, and yeah, it you know, it exceeded my expectations, however low they were. It sounds like it's there's something there for people who are looking for. A certain type of game, but just maybe not the game that they marketed. At least not yet. Adam, before we go into the uh, news section, did you have anything that you want to talk about what you played this week, or no? Um, I can probably say this because it's a remaster, but uh, I've been playing an early release or an early code of Kingdoms of Amalur Re Reckoning. I I'm technically under embargo, so I can't like say anything more about it. But you know, it's an existing game. So it's not like it's yeah, a brand new and yeah. property. Um, it actually kind of touches on some of the things you were talking about earlier in terms of like uh, one for one, for example, just one random fact. There are more than 170 lower stones in this game, like literally stones you click and then you hear someone talk about some lore thing. And it just kind of feels like it's a lot. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about the um, Horizon audio. Logs. When you're when you're talking about the Horizon audio yeah. logs, I wanted to chime. I felt like I maybe should just chime in on this. It's just kind of like this. This game. I'll just. I don't want. I'll talk about this more next week when I can actually talk about like the remaster and whatnot. Even though I don't think my opinions change much, but um, this game has a ton of like world building and lore, and it was meant to be a like introduction to a larger world that was eventually going to be an MMO. So it makes sense that you want a lot Which of lore earlier, world too. for that. Yeah. Um, so you, that, that's, this is my first time playing the game and that's something I had, I had heard. And now it's like very apparent, like, Oh yeah, that's, that was definitely true. And that's definitely the case. 
Um, but now it's sort of this only this standalone game now that uh, it's kind of interesting in a way how that was how it's designed like that in terms of its the story and world it's building. But yeah, now it's just a standalone little game, not connected to anything else. Um, the remaster is going to have an expansion that is new next year. I'm not exactly sure how many people are like interested in that because it's been eight years and it was kind of like a done dead deal, right? Uh, but now there's going to be new stuff. Maybe it'll be terrible. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Uh, I'll talk more about it. Now. I'll talk about it more next week. That's what I've been playing. All right. Well, it's to hear your fuller thoughts on that. It'd be interesting also to see uh, if THQ, they're the publisher, right? If they have yeah. more plans for uh, reviving that as an IP. It might depend on how well the remaster does. But yeah, we'll talk about it next week. They, I will say they, they have a, they have um, what's the word I'm looking for? Precedent for that because they took the Gothic IP, um, and they're making a, a, a remake for Gothic, like just a brand new. It's not, it's not like a continuation, but it's a remake. So it's like sometimes THQ will take pick up these properties and like this is just a remaster, but they'll do something with it. So maybe. Like it's not it's not completely impossible for there to be a Kingdoms of Amalur two now. It'd be a different studio doing it, but it's not impossible. Yeah, that's Who knows? Right. So we've talked a bit about the uh, Marvelous Avengers launch and post launch plans. The other kind of major RPG headliner for this week, of which there are very few, is we got the list of the Tokyo Game Show lineup for Square Enix. And it's a long list, but the highlights of it are Babylon's Fall and, hey, George, Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, a notable omission, obviously, is that there's no outward anything about a potential Final Fantasy 16. So, well, there's a couple got... of interesting omissions. For example, the, the near replicant remaster is not on the list at all. Um, you know, that, that, I don't think Square Enix ever, like, stated officially, like, a release window for that remaster. I think they mentioned, like, in an interview, like, well, to this year is the 10th anniversary, and it would be nice to release it within the 10th anniversary. So that was sort of indication, like, okay, it's going to be this year or within a year. But that was sort of a casual comment more than, like, a statement. But, yeah, it's not at TGS. It's not in the lineup. Now, the weird thing is, is like for Babylon's Fall, that is in the lineup. So that's that's the most splashy inclusion. That means we'll probably get something, maybe just a trailer. There is no like stage show for it. So there won't, won't be like a panel, I guess, a virtual panel. But like we'll get something for Babylon's Fall. But then like this near remaster is not listed at all in any capacity. So it's like, well, we, we won't get anything not even because the first trailer was kind of not really a trailer either. It was just a very brief announcement. So I wonder how far off this game is. I didn't, I wouldn't think it would have been that far off. I'm uh, looking at the list of games here and many of them are kind of like existing projects or properties like yeah. Dragon Quest 10, Brave XVS, Final Fantasy 14, Romancing Saga. There's a lot of mobile games. And then here yeah. is something that I should have used as our segue, like in the list, kind of out of place is Marvel's Avengers. It's like yeah, there. That was my tenor. I should have I should have used that, but I didn't. To go from one to But but also uh, go ahead. um, Other emissions like Bravely Default Two, which in Japan is a completely a Square Enix property, not a Nintendo thing. That's weird. But that's Bravely Default Two is not 
on the list at TDS, and maybe this is completely this is probably expected, but Project Athia isn't there either. So that one seemed a bit farther out anyway. Um, it's possible that they will announce something before uh, TGS. This is this happens semi frequently, where like that that schedule for Square Enix has a couple of blank spots. They might just be nothing, and they'll just fill them in later with you know just not too interesting of panels or whatever. But sometimes they'll like make an announcement shortly before TGS, and then fill in that panel possibly with like, hey, here's Final Fantasy 16, and we're going to talk about it in this slide, and then this slide. It's possible. Um, so who knows? And Josh Tora is a contributor to the site. He's a sort of person that he will have up every TGS stream the entire time it's on, and he will let us know as soon as they announce anything from there that is unexpected or uh, relevant. So, well, like for example, for like the the Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory thing, they already released the quote final trailer for it, so it probably won't get another trailer at TGS, but. They might show gameplay. They'll probably have a, a chat with the uh, the developers and the team behind it. Maybe some of the Japanese voice actors or they, whatever. They will but... release a trailer with the same footage spliced up in a different way with a new three seconds stacked on the end. That's that's the strategy <laughs> with a new like, super tease about what it's going to uh, I figure it'll probably just be like gameplay. Like here's, here's a, a song from Hollow Bastion or something. Yeah, I, I think it would just be like a little like, demonstration of how attitude like looks to play properly or maybe right. like that multiplayer mode i don't know that that's why i'm not like if it was like bigger i'd be like oh my god oh my god kingdom hearts but i'm just it'd be cool to see gameplay but i'm already sold i'm already gonna buy it like four times so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that is uh one of the big news that will be coming up soon another uh, just, this was going to be mentioned at the end but i'll just slide it in here another similar-ish event that'll be happening before uh, next week is Ubisoft's next Ubisoft Forward event. And here I have to, I, sh I feel obligated to put the disclaimer that Ubisoft is currently under like investigation, a bunch of shitty allegations. So understandable if you do not have the interest in watching what they are presenting, but we will at least keep an eye out to see if they have anything relevant to our coverage purview. Uh, I don't know if even we have much on our site to expect from Ubisoft's forward event. Well, there's maybe... Assassin's Creed, which is an RPG. <laughs> yeah, They've kind of already unveiled it quite a bit, so I don't know how much more there is to show before it's announced, before it's released. But... There is um, Immortals Phoenix Rising slash Gods and Monsters. Yeah, yeah they previous, previous, the, the artist previously known as Gods and Monsters is now Immortals <laughs> Phoenix Rising. They which... have previously called it an RPG or action RPG, I believe. So, like, and from what we very briefly saw, it interests me. And the details that have leaked out from the Xbox Store recently, if it combines Assassin's Creed and Breath of the Wild, like, I'm I'm so there for that. That'd be cool. I like this weird constant where the Microsoft Store is never like huge leaks, but they like they they tease what the what the actual release date of Yakuza is or, or some new art for this Immortals games like. But it's a, a very leaky faucet that Microsoft Store is. And the release date, <laughs> apparently coming December 3rd this right. year. And I'm not the first person, or even the, the first 100th person to make this connection, but the art really kind of has this Kid Icarus vibe. And I've seen multiple like internet jokesters kind of slap the uh, Kid Icarus logo on the Immortals like key <laughs> art and just be like, look, a sequel, or whatever. <laughs> it's a bit silly, but like, all right, I can I can chuckle at that. 
but yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see like if it's something that really looks like something you want to cover or something we'll just sidestep because it's not quite. Assassin's Creed, this game, and then back to Marvel, it's one of these things where it's like, yeah, we're covering these because they seem RPG-ish, but they're kind of like at the most thinnest extent possible, or hell, even Horizon. Or it's just like, I wonder how discerning we should be, like, just because it has levels or gear score, should we be, like, really treating it like an RPG? Obviously, a lot of times we're inclined to because we want to have things to talk about, but we kind of have the understanding that these things are very kind of superficially RPG-ish in several ways. I reckon if if we cut out, like, all of the stuff that's not quite an RPG, I, I might not have anything to talk about anymore. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we'd be, we'd be a little bit short on uh, things to think, talk about. Speaking of a try-and-true RPG, uh, we... That's a shitty segue, sorry. But uh, <laughs> we, we did hear about a planned upgrade to The Witcher 3 for next-gen consoles and for PC. Uh, so... Basically, it's getting a new edition for PS5, Xbox Series X, not this year, but at some point next year, which will be a free upgrade to for current owners. It will include ray tracing uh, capability, and then the PC version will also get uh, HDR capability, which I guess the current-gen version of that game supports HDR on consoles, but not on PC, because it was kind of like in that era where... PC HDR is still kind of in a, it's in a better place than it was, but it's not quite as ubiquitous as it is on the consoles, but it's in a better yeah. place now. So in 2021, they're going to add that as an update to the uh, PC version. So yeah, I guess that's something to look forward to if you played it back in 2015 and you want to replay it or you haven't gotten around to it. It, yet, it makes sense though. Um, like CD project, they recently posted their, their first half fiscal results little different than what people normally do like second quarter but they just did a cumulative half uh and like their profits are up their revenues are up even though they haven't like released anything big recently like they have there's like a a Thronebreaker new version of that or quent or whatever but like they are kind of been they've been riding on just continuing catalog sales of the witcher for quite a while it's doing really well it has a long tail so it makes remember, sense. For them. I don't have the like the report in front of me, but they've really suggested that the Switch version has done well for them, right? Yes, that too. Um, even though that was late last year, um, but it makes sense for them to take the effort. I, I think it's an external studio doing it, but to at least like set up where they can have The Witcher Three released on a new console and get a big update because people will buy it, and you know it's just worthwhile to them. It's a very very well, very well liked game, so they're going to support it for Fantastic. the new generation. Probably won't play it again, to, to be completely honest. Like, it feels like one of those games for me where you can only really have that first playthrough once. Yeah. Like, first time you wake up on the Skelliger Isles and you're like, oh my god, this game's massive. And like, I'm probably not even a quarter of the way through. How cool. You can't do that again. Uh, so I think I'll just, I'll probably still buy it. So I'm normally, this is a dumb anecdote, but I'm normally like a big completionist in games like this. And Skellige still broke me where the number of like treasure chests that they put the question mark map icons on that are out in the ocean that you got to swim to and dive down to get. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm not getting any more of these things. Like I'm not going for the platinum or whatever. I'm done. You broke me, Witcher 3. You're too big. You're too massive. I've never, I've never, I still haven't played The Witcher. I know. Like me. But... Maybe with the HDR with on the PC version, uh, maybe that'll be interesting. That was what Adam was waiting for, HDR support. 
Hey, I haven't played a lot of HDR games, and the ones I have have been really cool. So, uh, I will check. It'll be worth checking out. Hopefully, it's like actually good HDR support, not just like super contrast. Oversaturate various colors. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm not super in tune where I can tell when if HDR is faked but faked well. I'm the sort of person that can be fooled by it. Like someone else, like some technical, someone with a lot of technical know-how will go and be like, aha, this isn't true HDR because of X, Y, and Z. But oftentimes I don't have the uh, the skill set, the knowledge set to point that out unless it's like egregiously bad. Uh, Final Fantasy 15, I think, was pretty bad. Uh, so hopefully it's at least, if it is like kind of shoehorned in, it's done well. I know that sounds like a weird thing to wish for, but it's one of those things where it's like, if it emulates what it's the intended effect well enough that i'm not really going to like be a stickler on it i'm more when it comes to pc hdr what i what i value more is when i played doom eternal earlier this year it was the first game that i played that allowed you to toggle hdr on and off within the game within the menu without having to go to the windows color setting or like reload the game once it's set on like man that was nice and convenient i wish more games did did it that way because apparently it's possible and this tool set within windows is there to do that but a lot of ports just don't implement it in that way so i played uh just a random comment i played nino kuni on pc nino kuni 2 and that supported hdr and it was like really cool looking you know this uh anime-esque game with the um with the hdr functionality on and it worked for a while like really well and it was, it was just like one of the best looking games I've ever played in a way, but then it just like broke, and I guess something <laughs> something broke. I guess it was on like Nvidia's end, like so it wouldn't work with Nvidia cards. And then they needed somebody to just address it at Nvidia or something, just like communicate some fix or something so it would work with their cards. But I know they had they didn't for like a whole year, like it was never addressed. And I, I maybe it's been fixed by now, but I doubt it. So it's just, it was just kind of like oh, it worked really well at one point, and now it's just broke. I remember reading that there was a similar issue with HDR with a specific driver on um, Doom Eternal, actually. I'm not sure if it was on AMD or NVIDIA. Uh, I know, like, when you opened up the map screen, it caused something to glitch out or something like that. I remember uh, it was HDR of Fantasy 15 where it's like it blows out all the SDR, like, UI content, and you got to, like, play with these, like, levers and slides to try to make it like so that you're not washing out the hdr but you can actually read the ui it's, it's like man this is finicky but okay anyways hopefully witcher 3 is uh a good imp- implementation of the technology for pc now here's something i'll have to lean on adam for uh they got some news about edge of eternity launching next year for ps4 xbox one and steam now this game i've seen in the news kind of here and there the last several years. I believe it showed up at a, one of the China Joy kind of show showings. But I don't know if that was the first I think you're mis- I think you're uh, I think you're getting confused with another game that looks very similar. Oh okay. um <laughs> there there's like two different games that have like an off brand Noctis <laughs> uh character. <laughs> um I forget what the other one was called, but this one is Edge of Eternity, which is different from End of Eternity, which is a different game. Uh but Basically, it's it's an indie RPG, JRPG inspired game from a French studio. It was kickstarted in 2015. Let me look this up. It was kickstarted several years ago. 
And then it was put on Steam Early Access in 2018. And it was only like a first chapter for a while. And then eventually, this over time, they kept adding more chapters and fixes and, you know, the typical early access stuff to it. But it, basically, they just announced that it's finally getting a 1.0 release in spring. It's going to be on PC, PS4, Xbox One. It's sort of like this indie Japanese styled RPG that, you know, it's if you're not looking for like the most big budget. Japanese game, maybe this is something that'll be interesting. Uh, but this is one of those things that's kind of been lingering for a while and it's finally getting a release. So something to keep your well, eye on. Now maybe I'm it's just kind of curious. What was that? What was that RPG I confused it with? Because now I feel bad. But like, uh, I, I hope I pull up like two images and like, oh yeah, I could see why. Give me, give me one second. Images. Let me look this up. I I do want to see this, some more of those games because they had like a they had like a something that seemed clearly inspired by a um near automata they also that's where Genshin impact i think first kind of not where it first showed up but where it first like made a splash was that one of those uh china joy showcases but yeah i do remember that it seemed like this is knock knockoff noctis it seems like it was started development in 20 like 14 or 15 when final oh Fantasy okay 15. it's called the other game is called lost soul aside and that one, okay. I don't think, I think it's kind of gone oh. dormant for a while. But they both have, like, a main character that, like I said, looks like an off-friend Noctis. So it, it just kind of, they kind of blend together. And that one is a Chinese game that I think, uh, like, this kind of went radio silent. So, this yeah. is where I wish, like, we were, like, doing a video on these podcasts where I could, like, pull up some of these uh, images side by side and be like, look, it's understandable that I got <laughs> these uh, confused. Man, these really are very similar. I, yes. I might just put this. I might just put this in the uh, in the post for it. I'm I'm mostly just trying to cover my ass here because I feel bad that I mixed them <laughs> up, but <laughs> they do look very very similar. All right, so Edge of Eternity is not Lost Soul Aside. That's another game that seems like it's kind of in develop not development hell, but in development stasis. It's probably being worked on. But we haven't seen it in a while. We'll see it mm -hmm. at some point. All right, the last bit of news for this podcast is all about the what nvidia showed earlier this week about their new gpus and i think they also announced some new like technologies like uh, dlss 2.1 so they announced the rtx 3070 3080 and 3090 releasing before the end of september for basically this year's slate of graphics cards and it's i don't know this is basically james's territory when he's really in tune with uh both nvidia and amd and what they're offering on this front yeah, so the 3070 actually doesn't come out until October, so next month. Right. But the 3080 releases on the 17th. The review embargo uh, releases on the 14th. And the 3090 releases on the 24th. I don't know if the review embargo for that lifts at the same time as the 3080, but it might. So um, generally all you need to know in Digital Foundry has released a video, and it's obviously cherry-picked games to a certain extent, but... NVIDIA is saying the 3080 is up to a two times performance increase over the 2080. And uh, just going off the games that uh, Digital Foundry showed, even with like a performance graph as the games were running, it seems to be uh, accurate. It seems like the, at least from the cherry pick games, it seems to be anywhere between 70 to 80% faster in the 2080. And uh, seems to be around 40% maybe a little bit higher than that 
faster than a 2080 Ti for half the price, which is really nice. Yeah, the, the um, 3090 is kind of like the premium where you're paying a heck of a lot more. I think it's 1499 compared to... Yeah, on paper, the 3090 should be around 20% faster than the 3080 with the caveat that just because it has more um, compute units or cores, whatnot, that doesn't necessarily mean that games will fully utilize them. So in games, we're going to have to wait for benchmarks to see. But regardless... It, at most, a 20% performance improvement is probably not worth paying more than double the price. Right. It's very much a premium at that end where you're paying a bunch more for that little marginal improvement. And for people who are mostly console players, a 2080 is ballpark, speaking very generally, where the new consoles are are landing in terms of their power. So, um, Well, we don't know exactly. Like When people have been saying, oh, it's going to be around a 2080, um, keep in mind that that entire um mindset came from one comment from gears of war 5 developer saying that we ported the game to the xbox series x and after two weeks of work on the port they had performance roughly equivalent to an rtx 2080 so for all we know that after after some more time to uh mess around with it it could be faster because our dna too from everything i'm hearing seems to be a legitimate performance improvement over our DNA one. So that'll be interesting to wait out for. But um, yeah, I'd say anywhere between 2080 to maybe closer to 2080 Ti performance in some games on the Series X. No idea what would specifically be the best ballpark for the um, PS5, maybe closer to the 2070 Super. I don't know. Um, But yeah, NVIDIA's cards are definitely being more accepted this time. Like, when Turing came out, which was the RTX 2000 lineup, there was a price increase across the board, and unlike usual, where it te- it te- the way it tends to work for NVIDIA cadences is that, so when the 90, for a while, the 980 Ti was the fastest card, and then when Pascal came out, the 1070 was roughly equivalent to the 980 Ti. But when Turing came out, the 2070 was only roughly equivalent, maybe a little bit faster than the GTX 1080. And the, two, and the 2080 was roughly equivalent to the 1080 Ti. Now we're it's kind of back to what yeah. is usual for um, these sorts of things. And the RTX 3070 is faster than a 2080 Ti, at least going by NVIDIA. We don't have benchmarks yet, obviously. Uh, I'd imagine, though, that it's going to be anywhere between 5 to 10% like performance in most games. Probably a bit faster in some, probably a bit slower in others. Different architectures, that's how it works. Um, so I, do, I follow this pretty casually, but my main two takeaways, speaking generally, are one, it's kind of been interesting that we've had a little bit of a slower cadence. Like the, 20, the 2080 Ti came out in late 2018. So it's kind of had its position as... I don't want to say flagship, but kind of like the de facto our, uh, GPU that most games are benchmarked on. Like obviously AMD has their competitors and even NVIDIA has like the Titan Black, which is more expensive and more powerful. But it's kind of been in its kind of premium position for two years, which is kind of unusual for GPUs. And maybe that's just the pace of technology. You can only improve it so fast. It's not linear. And then also well, the pricing. My, my other comment was just they've priced... What's the price that they have for the 3070? It seemed very... Uh, $500. Reasonable. 
Well, maybe maybe not reasonable. That's so there's still margin there for AMD to compete on price. If they can come up with a, and you might know this better than I do, if they can come up with a competing GPU that's three fifty, and they the can problem with AMD, there, go ahead. Um, the problem with AMD now. Just looking at the amount of compute units that R&D DNA one has, like the 5700 XT has only 40 compute units. The rumors, like most of the rumors, the credible rumors for the next-gen AMD cards is that they're going to go up to 80 CUs, and then there's going to be a 50% performance per watt improvement. So, And also there's going to be some form of ray tracing capabilities on the hardware for AMD. Uh, so at least as far as pure rasterization and performance, so non-ray tracing, it seems likely that AMD will have some sort of competitor for the 3080 and probably with a little bit more VRAM and maybe within 50 bucks of it. The problem is, though, is that the ray tracing is is very likely not going to be as sophisticated as Ampere's ray tracing, and that's not even taking into account the whole suite of other features that NVIDIA has been working on for the last... DLSS, three four years Ansel, yeah like nvank was already a really good encoder on pascal and it's just gotten better on turing to the point where major like um content creators say that they're that if you have an nvidia card even if you have like an, a 3900 uh, x like i do use the encoder on the nvidia card because it's going to compete with um h264 like medium or something like that with much less of a performance impact and just put things in perspective when you're streaming or even when you're recording footage for a YouTube video, generally, you don't need to go um, with a performance profile that's slower than uh, H.264 fast for the most part. So the fact that RTX cards now are able to deal with uh, the medium preset, which is obviously a higher quality means that it's already a massive like, game changer for people that want to get into content creation or want to just stream with their friends because that's less cpu overhead there's only like a two percent three percent impact on performance when you're streaming using the uh de the dedicated encoder and all that uh then there's dlss which i'm not sure if any of you have been like keeping up with it but it's actually in some cases dlss imagery looks better than native resolution imagery these days which is kind of insane I, I think so, the only game I played that supports it is Monster Hunter, and it's really cool to be able to use that to push 60 FPS or higher at 4K yeah. without any drop in like notable visual quality. I've seen some so, people yeah. use that technology to upscale from something that should be like really blurry, like 720. Yeah, I have a friend of mine. It's nearly that, as good. Yeah, I have a friend of mine that he played through Control on his uh, 2070. And he messed around with DLSS and he found that even with an internal resolution of 540p at 1440p, he could hardly tell a difference between DLSS 540p, which is, to put in perspective, less than the resolution of the uh, PlayStation Vita. That So he could hardly tell a difference from upscaled 540p via DLSS and control compared to 1440p. And he had screenshots to show me. And obviously, it's going to look a little bit worse in motion. But just looking at a screenshot, it's like really impressive. You can almost not tell a difference. And you only can tell the difference if you look really, really closely in the nitpick. So it's, here's my dumb question. If AMD is partnering with 
the uh, Sony and Microsoft consoles and NVIDIA partnering with the Nintendo consoles. Is DLSS something we could see in a Switch 2 to allow it yes. to play at yes. something like 4K, even though it doesn't have what you'd normally classically expect the processing power to push that? Absolutely, especially with the fact that most recently um, DLSS is getting support for dynamic resolutions, which should definitely that, that's, that's help. part of that 2.1 update, right? Or whatever they're yeah. calling it. So, so very impressive stuff. Um, I would advise people to, see to wait this... for. I would advise people to wait if you don't absolutely need a GPU now to see what AMD has to offer. Just to see, like, if you're not going to go like super wild on ray tracing, or you just need a car, or you're worried about the amount of VRAM that the 3080 has, or something like that, because like that's the one problem that I've seen people mention with the 3080 is that it only has 10 gigabytes of video RAM. Though there were leaks about potential 20 gigabyte RAM versions, that might just be an AIV partner thing that they have the option of making cards that have double the. Uh, memory since the controller can support like memory modules on the back that's actually how the 2090 well not 29 the 3090 is dealing with 24 gigabytes of video ram uh but i'll be blunt it's really hard to tell people they're wrong for just going with nvidia at this point because even now the uh, navi gpus on amd's side have a ton of driver issues and like every day on RAMD, you see people mentioning about issues they've been having with their card. And while some of it might be pointing towards another issue in your system, like maybe RAM uh, memory timings or something not being stable, the fact of the matter is, is that for whatever reason, that RAM instability shows up more often on AMD cards and not NVIDIA cards and vice versa. There's... And... Like I've even had some own, some of my own issues with uh, yeah, AMD. Yeah, you say this as someone who owns an AMD GPU, right? Yeah, I have a an overclocked Vega fifty six, and um, I've noticed issues with my computer that I know is isolated to the GPU. It's not frequent enough to be a major issue, but like every month or so, I'll just get a random restart. And I know it's not my motherboard. I know it's not my power supply because I was having these issues on my old tower with a. Uh, Ryzen 5 1400, a totally different motherboard, a totally different power supply. And I even isolated it with RAM by upping my voltage a bit. So it's like, it, it's got to be the card. It's not frequent enough to be a major issue. But I know that even if in the best case scenario, I'm getting this, there's other people out there that are having massive issues with their AMD cards every day. And there's been tons of people on like, different subreddits saying that they tried to deal with the AMD issues and then they eventually just said, screw it, and they went to NVIDIA. So it's like, even if on paper, AMD has a better GPU, like the only scenario where I could definitely recommend going with AMD with no questions asked would probably be if you want to use Linux because AMD's open source Linux drivers are legitimately fantastic. And that's... And if you are gaming, there's enough of an argument to be made that nowadays with stuff like Proton and um, all that sort of stuff, that if you want to game on Linux, it's actually not crazy these days. Like most games work out of the box. And if not, there's just like compatibility profiles that somebody has worked on. So I guess in that sense, that's a good reason to get AMD. But otherwise, it's like, well... Definitely wait to see what AMD has to offer, and maybe the drivers will be better this time. 
But if you absolutely need to get an upgrade, I don't think there's any reason not to go with NVIDIA because at the very worst, a 3080 is going to tide you over at 1440p for a good majority of this upcoming console gen, I feel. Yeah, and if your eyes are glazing over because you're not a PC gamer, uh, just if you want to have one takeaway, it's that DLSS is really neat. And RTX is getting there. Like um, one thing that was absolutely <laughs> mind-boggling is that they actually showed some performance numbers for the 3090, and they had this chart for saying, "Hey, this is a GPU that can go for 8K60." And obviously, a lot of those games are running with DLSS to kind of cheat it, quote unquote. Yeah, 8K. But the um, quotes. But if DLSS works that well, it doesn't really matter. And even on that same chart, there were some games like Destiny 2 and Forza Horizon 4 that were running at over 8K 60 FPS on a 3090. So it's kind of crazy to think that if those games are running at those performance numbers at 8K, we're at the point where a 3080 can legitimately run games at not just 4K 60, but a bunch of games at 4K 120 hertz. And it feels like with a 3070, 1440p, 120 hertz is might just become the new standard for PC gaming or something like that. Maybe I can finally run Horizon at a stable 60 FPS. Yeah. And anyway, uh, I was just going to make a comment, this kind of flippantly or offhandedly, how it was interesting how early in the gen there was like, and this is kind of combining PC and console talk, how there was like a bunch of hoopla about, oh no, Killzone Shadowfall, Shadowfall is fake 4K. It's They lied to us. There was that weird like settlement on it. And now at the end of the gen, we're like, you know what? Fake 4K have done well. It can be like really, really smart. And like, why work harder when you can work smarter and have something that looks as good, if not better, with a fraction of the processing required and therefore a fraction of the investment required, like monetarily. So it's kind of interesting to see how like the technology has kind of caught up to the uh, to the principle, if that makes sense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what our uh, what sort of games we're running on both our consoles and our PCs next year with this big jump in computing power on both ends. We've kind of seen glimpses with like Ratchet and Clank, but other than that, we haven't seen a whole lot. So I'm curious to see like when when are we going to get our second sun moment? Because that's the that's the moment from this gen that I think really been like all right, it's here. This looks better than anything I've played previously. So I so I wonder what that game is going to be for the upcoming gen. Right now, it's just kind of Ratchet and Clank or Spider Man by default because that's all we've really seen a lot of. Other than that, that's I don't have any other topics listed for this week. So I don't know if uh, any of you three have thought about anything over the last couple conversations to to tie this up with, or if we'll just go ahead and start signing out. That's a very brief thing uh, about the Avengers. I think, of course, <laughs> the, the only thing I've talked about. Um, <laughs> I think the perfect way to have done the gear system would be Injustice Two. So. In that game, it it affected stats and stuff like that, and also affected cosmetic. But it's also uh, they still managed to create some like pretty unique superhero outfits and also recreate some like iconic ones. So like you never felt like you weren't playing as Batman. You're you're always distinctly playing as that hero. But the gear would actually shift and affect it. And it like at the time I was sort of like uh, lukewarm on it, but looking back and seeing like the alternative being this. Uh, yeah, I, I stand Injustice 2, I guess. So now I'm envisioning in my head, while James and I were talking about GPUs, you're like scribbling furiously, like, gear system, how would I fix this? 
what does it mean to do better? <laughs> it's it's not what, I'm like, like, what would I do here? What 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 would I do if I were a developer on this game? But yeah, so we'll start signing out. Uh, we don't really have any features to call out this week, but we do have a couple of casual mode videos. We have the one from last week about uh, Crystal Chronicles Remastered. And then we have one recently is about uh, Xanadu Next that we put up on Thursday-ish, Friday. So go ahead and give that a look on our YouTube channel. You can always reach our website at rpdsite.net. If you are playing Crystal Chronicles, we've got a bunch of guides uh, and obviously all the news about the upcoming Tokyo Game Show and... Uh, other things that were announced last week in terms of indie games that we haven't talked about on the podcast. You can follow our Twitter account uh, at RPG site or Facebook, rpgsite.net, or join our Discord by going to the link at the top of our homepage. And other than that, I am going to log off and try to beat this tempered, furious Rajing, and hopefully not get my ass kicked. Until You're going to get your ass kicked. Oh, probably. <laughs> so, Until so, next so, time, take care and see you then. Later, Bye, everyone. Then.